Welcome to Faster Please, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas. Several times a month, I'll feature a lively conversation with a fascinating and provocative guest about how to make the world a better place through scientific discovery, technological innovation, and economic growth. You're also going to want to check out my Faster Please newsletter here on Substack throughout the week for fresh essays, Q&As, and stories from around the internet and around the world. We've all heard stories about the death of American manufacturing, but America's industrial sector never truly went away. Many companies are thriving, and today's guest argues we're experiencing a renaissance in the sector. In this episode of Faster Please, the podcast, I'm joined by Gaurav Batra, who previously co-led McKinsey and Company's advanced electronics practice in the Americas. He's a co-author of the new book, The Titanium Economy, How Industrial Technology Can Create a Better, Faster, Stronger America. Gaurav, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me here. I think there's a caricature or perhaps misperception about the U.S. economy. I think you see it in the media that the U.S. economy is basically Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and big box stores. And that's basically your American economy. And it's certainly an economy that doesn't really make stuff in the physical world with atoms anymore. And the book, I think, is a corrective to that view. So why is that view wrong? And and as you and as you state that the US is in the middle of an industrial renaissance. Um, I think, Jim, you very accurately, I think, represented the perception uh, of what's happened uh, in the U.S. economy over the last couple of decades. I think the story, whenever you, anybody tells it, it's mostly about technology companies. It's mostly about uh, financial services. It's mostly about the Wall Street. Um, and, and at least as, as we started digging in, not just with the book, but our work in the industrial sector, um, we realize that the re- reality is actually very, very disconnected with this perception. Um, and the reason we say that is, uh, if you look at just pure numbers, you, still 20% of the US economy is completely dependent on um, uh, US manufacturing. Um, so that number has not gone down. It may not have increased, but that number has sustained pretty well. I think uh, if you look at employment, uh, this sector still employs the bulk of uh, the US economy's workers today. So in terms of pure numbers, in terms of relevance, the sector never went away. Uh, it definitely slowed down because other sectors kind of started growing, but manufacturing a sector in the US still remained pretty staunch. Um, I think and that, that is at the sector level. Now, as you unveil that a little bit and, and go under the hood, um, you realize that uh, whenever we talk about Wall Street as a great example, we talk about the Facebooks, the uh, Alphabets, the Apples of the world delivering incredible stock market growth. Everybody talks about how much of that you own in your portfolio. Um, But the moment you start unraveling the industrial landscape, you actually see several, and the number is actually north of 20, 30 companies who have done actually fairly well over a much longer time period in terms of even delivering value to their shareholders. Um, And these companies have done it, not necessarily leveraging uh, outsourcing, but they've done it by the strong sensible business practices, how they, run their com- uh, how they run their companies internally, how they work with their customers, how they potentially create a niche for themselves in particular markets. So I think for us, at least as we started and I spent about a decade in this particular industry, as I looked at that perception, which was exactly what my, my idea was coming into the sector versus what I took away from it after 
being a practitioner in the seg in the segment for about 10 12 years the the perception the reality don't match i think the perception as you rightly said is all about wall street all about technology all about financial services but the reality tells us that hey manufacturing is is never gone away and i think given what's happened over the last two years with the pandemic and the geopolitics of the um, of the globe around us it is only telling us a flashing red that this is actually get going to get even even more critical for uh, all of us um, here in the us uh, in the next couple of years um these are industrial companies while they may not be classified as technology companies they use technology you know you have consultants they like talking about 5g and ai you know cloud computing uh but they're more than buzzwords those technologies are diffusing into the economy and not just at places like like google or amazon or apple i and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you're what we're seeing in this uh, in this industrial sector is as these technologies are part of how they do what they do. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I think we think it's an essential ingredient to success going forward. Um, so to give you one example, there's a company called Bulk Handling Systems. It's based in Eugene, Oregon. Um, they basically are recycling cardboard cans and plastic uh, and essentially stuff which has food in them. Um, I think if you look at them a decade earlier, they would tell you about all the manual processes, which is fairly unhygienic about how uh, somebody would have to pull that piece of food out of a, a cardboard can or a plastic can and then put it in recycling. Uh, today, if you look at that company, it's using artificial intelligence, it's using latest uh, vision technologies, it's using robots to kind of find where these sediments are, getting them off the, uh, the cardboard cans and the plastics and then essentially putting them through, through recycling. So that's a, like a very like uh, tangible example of how technology and the, and the progress we've made there is really impacting industrial landscape and for the good. I think while this one might be like on a, on a production line, there's several others about how people are using similar techniques to ensure quality and, and, uh, and efficiency in the production line. Technology actually is also making these companies go to the next level of performance on pure, I would say, business processes. So to give you another example, a place where I've seen technology help a lot uh, such companies is pricing. A lot of these companies spend, uh, create a lot of complicated engineering equipment, right? So an equipment could be uh, a boiler or a, or a heat exchanger or a mixer for a food processing plant. It's, it's, it's not a standard thing you can buy off of Amazon. So there's a lot of specifications which go into it, temperature controls, uh, material composition, process tolerances. And people used to do all that work manually in terms of negotiating with the customers, letting them design those kind of products. Today, if you go to that, they can go to a website, there's an electronic configurator, you can click and choose what kind of parameters it wants and gives you an outcome. And then similarly, it quickly tells you, hey, how much is it gonna cost? So a process which would have taken multiple weeks, in some cases months as well, is now getting compressed to a matter of days. So I think te technology will get pervasive. And the good part is I think there's a very good fusion between what our industrial landscape does and what technology can provide to them to really make them go to the next level of performance, both in terms of meeting customer needs and satisfaction, and then candidly being much more robust financial um, uh, going concerns. Now, uh, in those two examples, uh, you've given two very different kinds of businesses, and I and in the book, uh, you really you really give uh, a sense of the the span of the kinds of companies we're talk we're talking about. Give me a sense of that. 
of just give a, a bit of a, the span of sectors that we're yeah. talking about. Yeah, I think that's very relevant to discuss because uh, I think a lot of times uh, industrial is discussed as a monolith. It's very much discussed as a singular segment, but uh, it's probably the worst articulation or the most inaccurate articulation of the segment we probably can come up with. Um, everybody has their own way of looking at it. The way we looked at it, they're close to 90 plus what we call micro verticals. And they essentially, as you rightly said, um, cover the whole spectrum. I mean, we wake up in the morning, we have a cup of, uh, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Uh, the beans which are being uh, sent to us are, have come through a food processing plant, which again is either utilizing equipment or products which are being manufactured by uh, companies, uh, many of them here in, in the US. We pick up the phone in the morning to check our text messages, text our, check our emails. Um, the chips behind those phones, um, this has been obviously in the news of late quite a bit, are come from semiconductor manufacturers and the whole semiconductor industry, which is 400, 500 billion dollar in size today, relies on innovations in precision manufacturing, uh, which have been gaining over the last um, multiple decades. Uh, we go to our, so get in our cars to go to work, automotive industry is now playing a big hand in it. Uh, we come to the office and we start writing on a piece of paper, the paper industry is there. Uh, uh, lunch is delivered to the office. It's packaged in specific packaging. That's coming from companies like Sealed Air, where they're working on top of the line packaging to keep the quality and the hygiene of the food uh, high, healthy, uh, high. And similarly, they're looking at packaging pallets of machinery and equipment, which is getting transported uh, from one part of the country to the other part of the country. So literally like anything I literally can touch on uh, is influenced by manufacturing in a meaningful way. Um, so the spectrum is wide. And I think it's very important for us as, uh, as uh, members of society, as investors, as executives to understand how complicated and how heterogeneous the segment is. Because I think once we start realizing that not only do we see the importance of it in our daily lives, but then also as executives, as colleagues, as workers, as investors in this segment, we are able to then understand the true value of these companies. Um, a great example, I think, which always comes to my mind is a company called Graco. It's based out of Minneapolis. Um, what they specialize in uh, is high propulsion of fluids, right? So they get spray painting uh, uh, fluids in a can. Then they figure out how to get peanut butter in a jar. Now, if you look at their segment, I mean, I can call them industrials, but it's nowhere related to what's happening in the automotive space or it's happening in the aerospace space. But they are looking at a particular niche in the market. And then having that change in mindset, having that change in how they view uh, or how we view them, then helps us appreciate that they are a market leader and they are a market leader in a need which is not going to go away. We will be spray painting cars or spray painting something else. We will be eating peanut butter, peanut butter for a while. That's a, that's a, I think that's a great example because I don't think people think about sort of flow control and fluid management very often. It's yeah. not a strict business. It's not a, a strict sort of consumer name that people mm -hmm. uh, understand. And, and nor is it nor nor is it manufacturing where you think of some sort of big factory necessarily. Yeah. But that mm -hmm. that is modern manufacturing that. Is, is essential to a, a the modern American economy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are countless examples like this, right? Where companies are 
serving a very critical need. And I think it, they're not, they're just not consumer brands, right? So we don't know their names. We, we can't look them up if we, if we wanted to. Um, and I think that's where they start suffering a little bit in terms of both our mindset and our perception of these. And to the first question you asked, I think that's what then perpetuates at least our feeling that hey, the whole economy is about the Facebook and Alphabet and Apple of the world when actually there's a lot more innovation and value coming from the manufacturing sector as well. Talking about technology and how um, these companies are using it. Again, I think there's a stereotype that this technology is employed by companies just to, to replace workers with, a with some machine. Um, but that's, that's, I mean, I, I don't think that's probably the whole story. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's definitely not the full story, at least as far as my experience is concerned, right? Because I think there's definitely displacement. I think if anybody says that there is no displacement, I think they're wrong. There is displacement in terms of what people are doing today when technology comes in and, uh, and makes it more efficient. Then obviously as a responsible financial operator of a company, you would think about, hey, there is capacity opening up. So what should I do with it? Uh, I think in the long term, there are definitely much more benefits in my opinion. One is that the companies become much more healthier going concerns if they're able to invest in their own growth. And they can grow through investing their own companies, expanding markets. They can go acquire somebody else. So there is, in the end, a greater good coming out of the fact that the companies now become healthier concerns. Um, and then number two is, I think, uh, it does create a new job category. Right Today, I mean, how many people would have been thinking about hiring um, data analysts or, or digital product managers in industrial companies 10 years earlier? Probably not many. But today, if you go on any job board, there are so many of these uh, um, employment opportunities which are uh, existing out there, which again will create a new set of uh, worker, a new set of uh, employment opportunities for the economy. So my sense is, at least given what I've seen uh, from my vantage point, there will be short-term displacement, which I think, again, if the companies are getting to be more healthier concerns, will probably minimize the short-term displacement aspect of it. But in the longer term, there is a lot of value to be driven out of this. It'll improve our productivity, will make everything better. And then as that happens, what we have seen also, and we've cataloged in the book through what we call the uh, great amplification cycle, as companies become healthier concerns, the communities and the workers which work there become more prosperous. And with the workers becoming more prosperous, the local economies benefit. And we genuinely believe just given how manufacturing is, it's not localized, it has to be dispersed, it has to be all over the country. That's one very effective uh, lever we have to bring down the inequality we are seeing today in, in, the, in our country. Um, so going to the Midwest, going to some of the Rust Belt, quote unquote, and, and reinvigorating manufacturing here will really have great second order effects uh, to the communities they are in. That's a good. That's a good point. So, wh you know, where are these companies? Where are they? Where are they located? They are everywhere. And and, and uh, funny enough, when we started, uh, at least com compiling the research for the book, our at least impression was they were in the middle coast. So not the east coast, not the west coast, mostly in the middle coast. But interestingly enough, they're actually on the east coast and the west coast as well. Like, I mean, Tesla is a very good example of a, a manufacturing company running in Fremont, uh, California, um, in the heart of Silicon Valley. Uh, but these companies are everywhere. Um, I think uh, Heiko, if you look at it, based out of Florida, but their businesses are in 80 um, cities around, across the country. Um, uh, Simpsonville, we've cataloged in the book as a great example on the on the East Coast where it's benefited from 
the tire industry and and sealed air being in that in that particular region. Uh, obviously, the Midwest has a bunch of these around Milwaukee and uh, and a lot of clusters coming up around the Texas area. So they literally are everywhere, and that's why I think it, it, it they are actually a great vehicle for ensuring the economic prosperity of the country because just the reach is so so vast. Do we do we have a sense of sort of the employment numbers again? How many companies are we talking about, and do we have a sense of the, you know, the employment? Yeah, so I mean, if you look at the industrial structure itself, uh, uh, I think it employs close to, uh, at least from my last last count, close to I think eighty to twenty percent of our uh, uh, of our uh, uh, overall labor base. Uh, I think if you look at from purely from a perspective, number of companies there are nearly four thousand companies in the U.S. which are um, uh, which are industrial or manufacturing something or the other. Now, the cool part about all this is, in my opinion, uh, most of them. I think three out of four of those four thousand companies are actually private companies. So you will not find them um, on the Nasdaq or, or or the Dow Jones. They are not traded publicly. They're held by private and mostly a family-owned companies, uh, which give them, uh, I think, a sense of resoluteness, which is very unique. Um, and then number two is, like again, I think close to 80% of these uh, folks are actually fairly small in size. So south of $5 billion or billion dollars of revenue. So these are, in the end, uh, in numbers, tremendous. Uh, we hear about all, the, obviously, the big ones. but more than 75 to 90%, depending on what metric you look at, are companies which are not being publicly traded, are much smaller companies, and they are all over the all over the country. Um, now, so that gives them the reach and the numbers. Uh, I think, as I mentioned, they're close to about 18, 20% of the economic uh, or the employment base. Uh, and I think the coolest part about these guys, as we think about their impact on employment, is that the two factors about this industry, which are pretty different and unique. Number one, you don't necessarily need a college degree to be a, a, a participant in this industry. People with vocational training, welding, uh, uh, fabrication training can go join these industries that have really healthy careers. So that's one. So the so the market, so as to speak, the labor market they cater to is much broader than other sectors, like if you take service or, or technology for that matter. And then number two is that compared to several other sectors, the pay in this, sec- in this sector, um, given that it's a fairly stable sector, is, in, uh, depending on what analysis trust is, anywhere between 40 to 100% higher than the average. So more people get the chance to get employed. Over time, they all earn more than what uh, their potential alternatives might be. And their reach is pretty high. And looking so all these factors has contributed to be a huge, huge engine for employment and then into an economic growth. How big a challenge is finding all those workers yeah. Yeah. for these companies? That's it. That that seems to be a big one. That's a huge one. That's a huge one. And I think as we as we as we looked at, at least for the book, um, and I've been looking down the things we need to change. The things which executives need to change about how they talk about their companies, how they run their companies. But I think the biggest change we need is in the in the labor supply area. And I think this is where the uh, government and the public agencies have to come in and, and uh, play a more active role. We're seeing some of that happen now with the CHIPS Act uh, recently, where obviously the government is putting a lot more emphasis on, on, on local manufacturing industry. Uh, but I think this is the biggest challenge. And, I, and if even if you compare US with some of the other countries like Germany or China for that matter, 
that's where I think there is a big scope of improvement for us to essentially enable some of these uh, public agencies through funding, through programs with community colleges, through programs with vocational institutes to essentially get more and more of that supply up. Because um, I think if you looked at the COVID um, times, suddenly when demand for a lot of these products like PPE or some of the home equipment went up because everybody started staying at home, the biggest challenge actually was to get workers to get to the factory, to be able to run these factories on more than one ship, to be able to cater to the increased demand. Um, and so far, what we've seen, I think the government is, I think, headed in the right direction. Um, and, and I'm assuming more will come, uh, which, which I think will be really fantastic. Um, in the meantime, what we've seen is just companies doing things by themselves. I think one, one stuff I really enjoy and, and, um, and I feel is encouraging is if you look at a company called Ideal Industries, they have what they call an ideal Olympics. And, and that's the place where they basically bring in talent, which is like welding talent, which is like machinist talent, and, and really attract people to that job category and job family um, and, and try to increase demand or supply locally for them for labor. So I, you're absolutely right, it's a huge problem. I think a lot more needs to be done urgently because this is not something which gets solved overnight. Um, so any move we make today will give benefits in a in a, in a few years time, but just given the importance of the sector and the fact that this is amongst the biggest bottleneck today, um, I think requires immediate attention on, on fixing this problem. How big of that talent problem is just a sort of a cultural problem where, you know, kids think like, oh, I would like to, you know, boy, I'd love to work for Google, or I'd like to be yeah. a social media manager. <laughs> they don't, yeah. you know, I mean, I don't want to be, a, you know, a, a welder, even yeah. though, even though, uh, you know, first of all, that might be a more satisfying job, job over the long term than being a social media manager. And mm -hmm. that's and that's where the jobs are, that those aren't just 1950s jobs. Yeah. Those aren't just middle 20th century jobs. Those are 21st century jobs still. Yeah, no, you're right. I think that mindset from our side, what we teach our kids and how we like inform them about uh, what their options and career trajectories might be, I think is critical. And I think that comes back to our homes and comes back to our societies. Um, I think I remember we were interviewing a CEO for the book and the quote which stuck with me was that I have a harder time getting people in my factories because they much rather would be baristas at, uh, at a Starbucks than actually right. come to work in my factory when they would literally pay like earn at least two X that amount within a few months uh, already. So I think that really points to the fact that, yeah, I mean, there is an element of training people, but I think the first step starts at home and first step starts at in our minds where how we convey to our kids and our families the value and the, and the purpose a manufacturing job can provide them. And I think this is where we should get ahead of it as industry executives to talk about like how prosperous lives can be in this particular um, um, segment. And then also change the image of the segment. I think if you, if you think about, uh, I mean, even before I started working in the segment um, intensely, my picture of factory was, you are greased up, you are dirty, it's high temperatures, it's not, it is exciting. loud. That's probably also yeah, very, exactly. very loud and hot. very loud. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'd, I'd be, and yeah, some part in some specific areas that might be true, but if you go through and I would venture 90% of the factories, they are spick and span. I mean, there is automation everywhere, there is safety, there is um, uh, worker working conditions which are much more. Um, I think much different than what our perceptions are. So I think there has to be an element of that uh, teaching, uh, which uh, the executive need to do about what kind of careers would manufacturing be able to afford folks 
And then there's teaching at home also, I think, which we need to at least give to our kids that, hey, yeah, there are multiple options, social media and uh, retail and whatever, but we should also then be making sure we are, we are talking about manufacturing as a real, real alternative, uh, given what we can afford them. We talked a little bit about training. Is there anything else you'd like to see the federal government do? So I think one thing which which has always been an interesting um, topic for me is, I think if we bring focus and we bring transparency to uh, an accountability to what we do, we typically make good progress. So I would love to see, uh, I don't know how best to even put it, uh, we have the Surgeon General for the U.S. Why is there no like Chief Manufacturing Officer for the U.S.? Uh, like somebody whose job is to ensure that the sector is 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 being run in the as healthy um, um, state as possible. Somebody whose job is make sure we're not surprised by, for example, what we saw at COVID. Right? Um, suddenly we had shortages of critical things at um, um, at home. So I think obviously dollars will help, funding will help, policy will help. But I think to make sure that we don't play catch up all the time, one thing I would love to see, and this is my personal opinion, is something like a CMO for the United States of like, it's his or her job to make sure that this, they're thinking about the sector, what the sector needs, not just today, I mean, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, and to make sure we, we don't kind of fall back. We always are proactively ahead of the curve um, on that. So that's, that's one idea, at least uh, as we were doing our research, it kind of stuck with me. Gaurav, thanks for coming on the podcast. Terrific. Thank you, Jim.